Welcome to the Mindful Leadership Podcast. How do we navigate through all the noise, distractions and pressures to make thoughtful conscious decisions that are better for us, our people, our customers and our organization? How do we know if we're busy and effective or just too busy to be effective? In this podcast, we talk to leaders who share their stories about challenging existing paradigms and doing different things differently. I'm your host Shahana Banerjee, founder and CEO of Just Human, Not Resources, on a mission to humanize the future of work. In this episode, we dive into a mega dose of inspiration with Dr. Sharice Sparks, only the third African American woman ever to be a fellowship trained board certified orthopedic trauma surgeon. She serves on the board of directors at Inspire Medical Systems, powered by her purpose to lead a life of service. She has impacted millions of lives through her work. Sharice, I am so excited and beyond thrilled to have you on our podcast. Welcome, welcome. Thank you, Shahana. I'm so excited. Man, am I glad to be here today. Thank you so much for having me. So we met a few years ago at an executive leadership program at our former employer. I still remember this large conference room in Berlin where you shared your story. There was pin drop silence in the room. All of us were lifting our jaws off the floor, I think. You were so inspiring. Let's start with your story and the journey that has led you to where you are today. And also the people, the influences and experiences that have shaped you. Well, thank you. I think I'll start with my mom saying, Therese wanted to be a doctor. She told me she wanted to be a doctor at age five. I have no recollection of wanting to be a doctor at age five. But the things that I remember most is my, my mother's an educator and my father worked for the Department of Housing and Urban Development. And they were both trailblazers for their time. My mother was somewhat of a prodigy. She got her master's degree at the age of 13, which is phenomenal. What she did help my brother and I to understand was, uh, number one, knowledge is key. So education is so important. And the more you know, the more you can do. And she didn't force us to do things and she didn't make it hard for us to do things. But what she did do is once we did find an interest, she wanted us to stretch ourselves. At the time, it wasn't sort of fashionable to go to what we now know as charter schools or Montessori schools. But my mom, being an educator, knew of such a school. And in the second grade, we had to actually do like our first public speaking. And I chose Dr. Daniel Hale Williams, and he's the first African-American cardiothoracic surgeon that did a heart transplant. And to this day, holding my picture up with Daniel Hill Williams up on the, you know, and me saying my little spiel. Um, but I think that's where I got the bug. I just understood that you could do whatever it is that you thought you wanted to do. And I never felt inhibited. So math and science came really easy to me. And so those are the areas that I really focused on. And I didn't have anybody in my ear going, no, little black girls don't do science and little black girls don't do math. I didn't, I didn't have any of that. So that seemed normal. Some funny stories. Uh, I got a chemistry set one right Christmas and my dad said, okay, I'll be your giddy pig. So I made him some homemade deodorant and some homemade bath soap <laughs> out of my, out of my chemistry <laughs> set. And he was, he was brave enough to wash with it. So 
<laughs> so that sort of me on the academic path that I was going to be some sort of scientist. I didn't know exactly what kind of scientist. But the other parts of my life are around um, animals and sports. And so orthopedics and surgery, all that sort of mixed together. So using math, science, um, but also having an empathy toward people, wanting to know more about people, wanting to always be in service, because that was a, also a big uh, value in our family. That just seemed like the, the perfect place for me to be. Now, that all sounds really great. And it sounds like I just buzzed right through that. Everything was perfect. But I got to tell you, everything wasn't perfect. <laughs> so <laughs> so uh, as we, you know, as we go through this, we, we will talk about some of the ups, the downs. Um, but I had really strong role models. I had my mom, my dad, my big brother, who I just adore, my grandmother, who was just phenomenal. And then many teachers and educators along the way, and then business colleagues, uh, even to this day. So my journey has never been one of solitude. I've always had people around. And then I, that made me really respect the fact that no person is an island. You cannot find success all by yourself, no matter how hard you try. And that is what I really landed in. So after high school, I went to Wichita State University. I played basketball for one year. Then I tore my ACL. Oh. I thought, actually, at that time, I dropped out of school for a little while because I just didn't know exactly what I wanted to do and what it was all about. Because even though my parents never really pressed, I was always in accelerated courses. So I was always working and I was always in some sort of summer program too. So just kind of year round, I was always academically engaged. And so at this point, when it was finally my choice to do whatever I wanted to do at college, I said, maybe I'll take a break. So, um, <laughs> but that didn't last very long. I saw an ad for the small business administration where they were recruiting women to do traditionally male jobs. And so I applied and all of a sudden I got accepted to be a general contractor. So I began building stuff. I formed a company. We were very, very successful in that company. So, so much so that uh, at the beginning of the program, you get a loan. And if you show success within two years, you don't have to pay the money back. So it turns into a grant. So we got that. And then that facilitated uh, a return to academics and then on to medical school and by selling my company. I was able to fund my medical school also. Oh with my goodness. In medical school, I got academic scholarships, but also selling my company helped yeah. me to come out of medical Sharice, school. Yes. you are answering, I think, a burning question that our listeners have. Can you go from being a general contractor to a surgeon? And the answer is yes, you can. <laughs> yes, you can. Yes, you can. Oh can my I, goodness. But just goes to show... My brother said something very profound to me a long time ago. Life is a marathon, not a sprint. So it takes time. It takes training. It takes development. It takes introspection. It takes stumbling. It takes almost yeah. learning to quit. But true being true to you is really what you come to grips with. And that took me some time. So, you know, I, I marked my own path. I decided my own fate um, and I went for it when I would decided that's what made it work for me is because at the time that I decided to be a doctor, that's it's really hard. You have to do it for you. So therefore, you have to find that stamina within yourself. 
you have to find that lens that helps you see yeah. that term goal that you keep pushing for it, you keep reaching for it. And that all has to be you. And yeah. so for a long time, I didn't know that it had to be me. I thought I had to sort of take care of everybody else. I had something for everybody else. I had to, and, and that's not really it. So you're absolutely right. You can go from ditch digging because as a, as a contractor, when in the beginning, you have to apprentice. So you have to do all the plumbing. So you go under the house where all the nastiness is. You got to do the electrical. You got to do all that stuff. You got to get up on a hot roof and roof in the middle of the summer. And then you get to be the general contractor because you have to know a little bit about all of the trades. And, and that's kind of the way medicine is too. We go through a period of looking at all facets of medicine and then choosing what we want to do from there. Those are all just foundational pieces that help you keep peeling the onion of Cherise. So there's a little more and a little more you'll find out, you know, as you go through. So well said, Cherise, so well said. And there are so many lessons, I think, for our listeners. So not just that you can go from general contractor to surgeon, but also the fact that many of us, when you drop out of college, the path back seems really hard. And a lot of people don't end up going back because of how difficult it is to do so. But you know, you're also showing that even though you may make a choice to step out for a while, life is a marathon. Sometimes it may be a marathon full of sprints, <laughs> a marathon nevertheless. And so you could go back, you know, if you wanted to, doesn't matter when, it's just about wanting to do so and wanting to do it for the right reasons, which is for yourself. So talk a little bit about what drew you to medicine. What is it about medicine that really fuels you? Why is it important to you? Above all else, it's the impact that you can have on patients. It, it's the privilege to get to serve others. Hmm. Uh, couple that to my fascination with science and objective data. So I love structure. I, you know, you, you may think, okay, let me, let me drop another one in there. So here's a trauma surgeon that rides a Harley. So you may think I like to be the wild thing, but I really don't. I really like structure. I, I really like kind of defined limits and things that, that I can master, but also that feeling of being engaged with another person. I chose trauma. When I first went to medicine, I, I knew I wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon. And that was probably because I was a very healthy kid. And really the only doctors I knew were pediatricians and orthopedists because um, the, the pediatrician, you know, for your annual every year. And then the orthopedist, because I had to have sports physicals so I could go play volleyball or softball or run track or whatever. My orthopedic surgeon that did my ACL reconstruction was a, a team doctor for an NFL team. But he took me under his wing during my rehab and he invited me in to his office to see patients with them, to the operating room, to do cases with them. And, and then introduced me to other doctors and other specialties to say, here, don't just look at me. Look at what these other doctors do. That was really impactful for me because I just saw the way he changed lives. And I saw the way that he didn't do things to patients. He did things for patients. Uh -huh. And that 
very, very, you know, that's a different mindset than what some people typically say about surgeons is that, you know, we're sort of arrogant. In my head, I didn't ever have that picture because the person that I shadowed was not that person. The contributions that I feel like I really want to make are touching the lives of others and enhancing the lives of others. And if I can do that by physically laying my hands on, applying science uh, and data, those are things that really excite me. Yeah. It's so interesting, the point that you called out, you're not doing something to the patient, but you're doing something for them. You are in service of them. And it's also so interesting where medicine has today evolved, where the patient and the doctor are actually partners in a journey of recovery. And we don't necessarily always see doctors having made the transition, I should say, or patients for that matter, to be fair. But when both are cooperating or collaborating on achieving the outcome, it seems to work magically. I I agree. We want patients to be advocates, but I want them to be open-minded advocates as well. I want them to accept that they're not an MD, even though many of them think they are (laughs) by the time they get to us. You know, they're really not. And that's what I really try to pride myself on in practice was actually having a conversation with my patients, not talking at them, but Mm -hmm. talking with them. Because I think that was what was so important for me in my career, especially in trauma. I was never sued as a trauma surgeon. And Mm -hmm. that's really big. No one ever made an appointment to see me. You showed up in an ambulance and here I was. Usually bad things happen to you and you weren't ready for them to happen. You didn't always have a great outcome because we didn't always have great going in. I really learned early on to sit, talk to patients, even when patients at the end would go, okay, well, that was really nice. Thanks for talking to me. When will the doctor come in? Even though I was the doctor recognize that I was going to be their doctor and I had to work through that you know as well when they sometimes would look at me and go I'm not really sure I want a black person to be my doctor and I said that nicely because there were some not nice names that they called me and I had to recover from that I would have to recover from being told to go mop the floor my experience is is complex but not insurmountable And it had to come from the fact that I had to listen to people tell me that I had to know me first. And above that, I had to love me first. So one of the things that I do every single day when I wake up and I'm in front of a mirror, I just say, I love me some Sharice. Because if I don't say it, nobody else may say it. So I do it every single day every single day, even on the days that I may not believe it, but I do it every day. And I think that helps me foundationally stay planted, but also helps me to garner courage when I need courage, bravery when I need bravery, and humility when I need humility. Mm. It's almost impossible to imagine that when you were practicing, it's seven years ago, it's not that far back, that these kind of things were still happening and still happen to this day in hospitals and, you know, where patients come in with preconceived notions and biases and don't want uh, to be treated 
and you've been a pioneer in so many ways, Sharice, throughout your career and, you know, all the twists and turns in your career. And you've definitely been among the first, the few, the only, often in spaces that aren't quite ready for you yet. And so how do you actually deal with some of this behavior that's really hard to understand or make any sense of, actually? Right. One of the first places that I start is I let myself grieve about what happened because it's trauma. It hurts. So you don't try to ignore it. You have to you have to look it sort of head on and say that hurt. And you have to accept that that hurt. I'm very lucky because I have so many people that love me. They love me in the right way. So they love me when I'm right and they love me when I'm wrong. And they're not shy about telling me when I'm wrong. <laughs> so, so they help me grow. But but it's also a place of comfort that I can go to and really share that something really hurt me today. But it, it is about not living in the hurt. But how do I respond best to the hurt? Because I don't want that person to take away my joy. And my joy is in giving others and being in service to others and providing a service to them. Should they want that service, I want to be at my very best. Because I'm telling you, when they came to see me, they didn't expect to see me. They got hit by a car or they fell off a building or terrible happened. And so sometimes it was that they were already angry about something else. And so I had to not always take these things so personally, even though it's really, really hard. And that was not a snap my finger and I was okay and ready to do that. What I always had to come back to was what's more important, my feelings or my service to others. And the service to others always won. And mm-hmm. sometimes I had to swallow some things and, and just get through it. So it was it's not easy and I'm not a saint. I giggle because... Lots of times when I go to the operating room, the mean person gets to go to sleep. I don't have to talk to them. I don't have to see them. I don't, I don't really have to deal with them. And so, I, you know, they're sleeping. So they can't be mean to me while I'm really doing my job. More times than not, even when that person lashed out at me, at the end of our opportunities together, many of them would come back and hug me or hold my hand or Mm. want to introduce me to their family or, and that just made it all worthwhile. So that made it, that validated for me that I just, I can't sort of react in anger. I have to really process everything. So it was all about taking a breath, but it was all about taking that time in surgery, doing the thing that I really wanted to do because they couldn't spoil my joy. Guess what? Because they were sleeping. And, and I got to I got to do the thing that I really wanted to do. That's actually really amazing, Sharice, because the empathy and grace with which you talked about their circumstances, that they were at probably their worst, they had not expected, you know, whatever trauma had happened to them and ended up in your OR, the empathy and grace with which you are seeing it from their perspective. And then still choosing service over anger is really remarkable, really remarkable. But I can also share one of the most hurtful things. Um, So when I was in practice or in residency and I was a chief resident at Arkansas, 
a patient came in, had all kinds of tattoos like swastikas and an eight ball and, you know, all this stuff. And much of it, I had, I didn't, I didn't know, and the swastika, of course, I knew the able, I didn't know, and the tear uh, tattooed on his, I didn't really know all that. But I came in to see him because uh, he had been in a car accident. So he had multiple injuries and he was going to need surgery right then. I said, hello, I'm Dr. Sparks and I'm the orthopedic surgeon on call and uh, here's what we need to do for you and here's the injuries that you have. And he just looked at me and he said, no way, no is going to operate on me. And I said, oh I said God. that's great. I said, that's fine. Um, but what you need to know is that I am the only orthopedic surgeon hospital right now. And if you would like to have your injuries cared for, I would be the surgeon that would care for them. And he said, no, get out, get out. So I left. And about two hours later, they called me back because it was really hurting. And he knew that there wasn't going to be any opportunity for him to leave. So I did his case. Um, it went well. Bottom line of the story is by the end of it, he was hugging me. He invited his whole family up to his room to meet me. They wanted me to come over for dinner. And he is another one of those persons that actually writes me notes every now and again to tell me how he's doing. You know, I want to ask you maybe a difficult follow-up question. I think people who are not in our shoes often don't relate to or understand what it is that we go through when these kind of things happen. Somebody said something to you, so what, right, is kind of the refrain you hear sometimes. And I don't think they understand that it is not once in your life that you hear it. It is a lot more often than that. How would you explain it to somebody who has never gone through what you've gone through as to what it feels like? Ooh, that is hard. Um, it's like scuba diving or snorkeling if you've ever done either one of those things. Scuba more, scu let's say scuba more because you're ascending and you're almost to the top and you can see the light and you can see that you're going to break through and you're going to get to breathe deeply again. But yet the surface never comes. And so you're always reaching for it. It's like we always have to perform over and over and over. And milestones that others only have to reach once, we may have to reach 10 times. And that's just for somebody to go, well, okay, it's not a fluke, but let's see if she can be consistent. So you have to do it 10 more times. We perceive each one of those 10 times has to be better than the last. Mm. So the energy that it takes you is phenomenal. So it's training, 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 reaching, 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 but never actually really getting there. And then finally, when you when somebody finally says, oh, OK, that's all they say. They say, oh, OK. <laughs> they don't go, wow, great job, man, you stuck it out. Oh, they, they never the other people never sort of accept responsibility for having made your journey so hard. All of a sudden, when you make it, they want to cabbage onto you. And go, look, look what I got. She made it. She did it. So I'm going to put her in this group. I'm going to put her here. I'm going to put her in front of this person. She's going to wow this group. She's going to wow. And I'm going to take credit for her. Mm. That's really giving you the credit that you deserve. That is something that I think until the murder of George Floyd, we as people of color mm. always accepted that that was okay. 
Mm. Now the line in the sand is different. Now we push back and say, it is not okay. You will acknowledge my accomplishments. Now that comes at a peril to us still today. Even when we stand up for ourselves and we're on good footing and we have objective data. More so, so I think. Yeah, the biases still don't go away. They still don't go away. So I think to answer, to bring, to bring this kind of home, it is again, you have to be, number one, you have to love you. You have to be confident in you and you have to give yourself grace because it's hard. So when I walk into a room, even if there was something that said my name and I'm going to be the keynote speaker, if there wasn't a picture of me, if I were in the crowd, nobody would ever know that I was going to be the one to step up on the stage and give whatever. They wouldn't assume that I would do that. And then when I leave the stage, then it's very, you know, it's a very different kind of thing. Building your own rewards, labeling your own glory. Those are the things that we just have to take for ourselves. Very well said. I'm going to ask you a harder question, oh if that's okay. <laughs> okay, I'm ready. A lot of diverse talent, women often. I think the question they have on their mind is, it, is it worth it? Because the journey is so hard. Is it worth it? And you see it in a lot of different ways. So for example, a lot of African-American Black talent who study STEM actually don't pursue a career in STEM. And so those are, I think, statistics that should really worry us. It's the same for Hispanics as well. What would you say to someone who is right now wondering if it's worth it? I would say, heck yeah, it's worth it. I am going to say a name, and I'm sure she won't mind, but Dr. Tony McLaurin is my friend, my mentor, my sole person. She is a, she is a wonderful light. She was trained as the second black female orthopedic trauma surgeon in this country. Wow. So much so that in her first job, she ran a 1000 bed trauma hospital by herself. She was the only orthopedic trauma specialist in the, and it was a charity hospital. So it was kind of the worst of the worst. And she did it for many, many years. I learned about her just kind of in an, oh, by the way, fashion, because at the time there was nobody that looked like me anywhere doing anything that I was doing. So spoiler alert, I was number three. So she was number two. Oh and my I goodness. Fellowship trained, board certified orthopedic trauma surgeon in the country. So is it worth it? I would say yes, because without Tony, there wouldn't be Sharice. Sharice, mm. now the, the funny one is the next number four her name is Sharice as well. So I'll, I'll but, but today, and the first, her name is Sherry, <clears throat> Dr. Sherry Holmes. She's the very first. And so I had the privilege of meeting all of these people. And, and now I know they're my friends. These are people that I know. But what they didn't do was be selfish. Now, Tony will, if you ever, if you ever reach out to Dr. McLaurin, she will tell you, yeah, Sharice had to stalk me, which I did. But it was back before the day. Uh, you stalked her? Oh, my goodness. Tell us more. Tell us more. Because it was back before the day of email. So I had to write her a letter. I, I wrote her a letter 
And I called her office and asked her secretary. And I left. She said one day she came and she had all these little pink, those little pink while you were out message things on her desk, all from the same person, me. <laughs> uh, tried to tried to get a hold of her. But once we came together, I met her at um, the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons meeting once. We decided we were going to have lunch. And so, and we've been friends ever since. So this is over 25 years ago. But what I encouraged her to do is I encouraged her to share her story as well. I encouraged her to come out of the shadow so more people could see her. And that's what I think, that's what makes it worth it is when not only can you reach forward, but you can reach back and bring people forward. Tony, Sherry, and I sort of had an ad hoc group and we just called it We Three. And what we tried to do at every academy meeting or every opportunity where we had uh, underrepresented minority medical students, we tried to just share what we did, you know, what our jobs were. Oh, and, and, and then we gave them our personal information so they could call, they could write, they could ask. So you have somebody that you know at, at the end of the tunnel, there, there's, there is a way to get there. Yes, it's hard, but you have somebody that can support you and you have somebody that has done it. So when you say, is it worth it? Heck yeah. But it's worth it once you decide that that's what you want to do. And, and I'm going to go back to what I said at the very beginning. Medicine is hard. You can't do it for anybody else but yourself. And you have to define what is important about medicine, the thing that ignites you in medicine to help keep that dry, because there's going to be times that you're going to be broken. If you look like me, I want you not to go in thinking, oh, my God, I'm going to be buried. It's people are going to step on me, hold me down. It's not uh -uh. be great at your craft. If you are great at your craft, people cannot ignore you. They cannot ignore you. So be really, 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 study hard. Be really, really, really good at what you do and the opportunities will come. Yeah. So yeah, it's worth it. Thank you for sharing that, Cherise. One of the things that I hear from talent across the globe is the importance of somebody taking a chance on you. You know, just like your father took a chance trying <laughs> your homemade deodorant. <laughs> You've got to have someone take a chance on you. And I think it is even more important, especially for diverse talent, to have sponsors, not just mentors in your career, right? And certainly the career switch you made as well. Could you think of perhaps an example where somebody did take a chance on you, saw the potential and took a chance on you? I will give you two examples. The first of which is that transition. So when I decided I wanted to be in medicine, I sold out on myself. I said, well, okay, I'll be a PA. I'll be a physician assistant. And, you know, cause it's probably too late. I probably missed the medical school thing. I probably can't go. So I'll just be a PA. And I went to uh, apply to PA school, got into PA school. And once I was there, we had to do an away rotation at the medical center. I was there. One of the black surgeons there just, pulled me aside and started talking to me. And I said, yeah, I wanted to be a doc, but I took this time off. And he said, stop, what are you doing? If you want to be a doctor, be a doctor. And he introduced me to the dean of the medical school. He introduced me to the academic advisor at the medical school and said, you know, this decision is up to you. You can be a PA, which is great. We would love to have you be a PA and you'd be really good at being a PA. 
But if you want to be a doctor, then you should pursue being a doctor. He goes, I can't guarantee you'll get in. You have to go through the admissions process, just like everybody else. You have to go get your letters of recommendation. You have to do, you know, you have to do everything that everybody else does. So all of a sudden, now I have a decision to make. I'm in PA school. Do I mm. want to take the MCAT? Because I've never taken the MCAT. And all of a sudden, so trying to study for PA school and take the MCAT at the same time. But that's what I decided I wanted to do. Once I got my letter inviting me for interviews for medical school, this same surgeon helped prep me for that. So he put his reputation. He also wrote me a letter of recommendation. He put he put his chips on the table. So that sponsorship, and as much as he could sponsor me, he did. He put me in the right situation wow. to what volunteer activities I needed. And even if he knew of uh, opportunities, he would send them down so I could get involved. And he was really instrumental in helping me to garner the position that he knew that I wanted most. And that is not to say that he gave me anything. He didn't do anything special. He didn't, I mean, he did special because he spent his time on me, but I still had to do the same work that everybody had to do. I had to get the grades that everybody had to, you know, so there wasn't any easy road. And then the second one was another transition when I decided to leave clinical medicine and go to industry where you and I met at J&J. At the time, he was a area vice president, I believe, for Synthes after they had been acquired by J&J to become Depuy Synthes. He asked if I would ever think about coming in and being a medical director um, at a medical device company. And I like looked right and looked left. I thought he would, you know, that show punked. I thought, I thought he would punk it. And I was like, what are you talking about? You know, I had no idea that a job like that even existed. And so he sent me the job description and I read it and I was like, wow, that sounds, you know, really cool. And, you know, I'll be really honest because, you know, down at the bottom it said I might have an opportunity to work in Switzerland. So I was like, oh, that would be really cool. So I'll, I'll, I'll think about changing. But the fact that he saw me in clinical practice saw the type of medicine and the type of care that I was delivering, saw the interactions that I was having with patients, that he would go inside a large organization like J&J and tell all the right people to look out for my application or even say, hey, can you talk to her before she applies and see, you know, so he did all of that using, again, throwing his chips on the table to support me. So it was a big decision to leave clinical practice because like I have said, I I don't know, 10 times here, medicine is hard. I had to decide whether or not I was going to give up everything that I had worked so hard for. Yeah. I had to reframe it. I I wasn't giving it up. I was going to use it. It was a springboard. It was going to give me an advantage in a situation that not everybody had. I was going to be the only surgeon in the room. I was going to be the first orthopedic trauma surgeon hired by Depew Synthes. I mean, all of these things. And so it wasn't I was leaving anything behind. It was that I was going towards something bigger. So yeah. it's all about how you frame things and then what you do with the opportunities that people give you. Yeah. And why was it important to you, Sharice, to move from clinical practice to go over to the you know industry and to impact patients in a different way? All of a sudden, as a surgeon, I can impact one life at a time. Mm. In industry, I just thought I could impact hundreds, thousands, even millions by being involved in new innovation and delivering care in a different way, contributing ideas. 
from a perspective of having delivered care to patients, having heard patients speak about things to help improve the devices, the systems, the processes, and even on a policy level, speaking from a voice that it that is rarely um, presented. So that being in service and being having a greater impact, a larger a, against a larger set of more diverse patients, uh, more complex patients with more complex issues was really an intriguing opportunity for me because like I said, I do that Harley thing in there as a, as a teaser, but I do love challenges. And so this was something I'd never done. This was something I hadn't ever thought I could do or had the opportunity to do, but it was interesting to me. It had all those things still that I was interested in. I had to still be a scientist. I still had to be a physician. And I still had to be in service to others. And it was just a new opportunity to do that. And it it was a tremendous opportunity. Great, great decision. Yeah. And you even have your name on patent filings now. So that's been quite a journey. Yes. Which is something I didn't know I would ever be able to do either. So that's very, yeah. <laughs> Sharice, when you switched your career from being a practicing orthopedic surgeon to the industry and, you know, getting into clinical practice, you know, now as a chief medical officer, that's been quite a transition. So when you made that transition, what was maybe the most surprising thing for you? And what were some of your learnings of making that transition? I think the biggest one um, was... I was going from an environment of complete autonomy. So as a physician, I made all the decisions. I made all the rules to not having autonomy. My presentation style had to also be adjusted because I was used to being very directive. And I had to learn that, number one, I had to listen a lot more in industry because I had to also do what they say. I had to learn to read the room. I had to also understand how to get people to think differently if I disagreed, but also not leave the room without having people understand that I did disagree. Mm. It wasn't- That's a delicate balance. Exactly. And then I had to also learn how to advocate for myself. I have so many more questions for you, Sharice. We could go on forever. We put together a section of rapid fire. Are you ready? I'm ready. The first one. So you're already a real life superhero, but if you were a storybook superhero, who would you be and why? I think I would be the Black Panther because he was humble. He was smart as a whip. He led from in the middle and came to the front after having everybody get behind him. He was able to respect the past, but be excited about the future. He was able to be regular old Joe, but also be the Black Panther. So I think the Black Panther, because he also had cool tech. So I, I think- Really I, cool tech, right? I am going to be on the front of me and have some cool tech, yeah. <laughs> oh, I think he missed out on a Harley, but you know, you can add that as well. <laughs> He did have a cool motorcycle. He did have a cool motorcycle. So, yeah. He did. Uh, if you had a superpower, what would it be, Sharice? 
watch this. I do have a superpower. <laughs> that is my superpower. People tell me all the time that you can't do it. Nope, not right for you, or you're not right for this. And I say, watch this. So I do have a superpower. I don't, I don't wish for one. I got one. <laughs> <laughs> well said, beautifully said. What is one piece of advice that you've received that's really helped you in your journey? And what's one piece of advice that you'd share with our listeners today? The one piece of advice that really helped me was accept that you're exceptional. Mm. Seems simple, but it isn't for us. It is but not. The one piece of advice that I would offer is know who you are. Understand your desires, understand what hurts you, understand what motivates you, understand what elates you, understand the boundaries, but know who you are. Mm. Then I have to ask you a more difficult question <laughs> in our rapid fire. And if you think back, right, you have impacted so many lives in many different ways. What is your number, you think, of the number of people you have impacted through your work? Wow. Um, I bet you've never thought about this. So I'm asking I, you this because, you know, I think it's, uh, it's interesting to look back yeah. and just realize the weight of it. Yeah. I mean, because I impacted women when I started that construction company and was successful. So I have no idea how many, when I got accepted to medical school, those that followed me, those that were ahead of me, when I was a resident in Little Rock, Arkansas, little black girl in Little Rock, Arkansas, it was, it was not what I expected, but it was a great gift. I know I changed the life of one person. They came into the operating room where I was there for the very first time. And they looked at me and they said, you better hurry up and get these floors mopped so Dr. Sparks can come in and do her surgery. Them not knowing that I was Dr. Sparks. Uh, rather than yell and scream, I turned and said, yes, ma'am, please show me where the mop bucket is. I'm happy to do whatever I can do to get my patient in there. And she was struck and had no idea what to do with that. And probably for the next year. She avoided me. She wouldn't speak to me. And I finally, I just sought her out. And I said, you have no idea who I was. And that's okay. But you do that. And we became really great friends. Then when I needed to get cases on, I could get cases on. Because I had a really great friend. And I don't know who she went to later and said, don't judge a book by its cover. If she had learned one thing, you know. So how many people did she share that with? I don't know. How many patients did I care for? Gosh. I have no idea. J&J has 150,000 employees. I was on some really public forums. So I got to speak at really big things at J&J. So how many people is that? <laughs> you know, so, it's the, so, it, so the patent that you filed and especially the projects you would have worked on probably touched, I don't know, a billion people. Who knows? Yeah. And now but, with Inside VR, you're certainly yeah. doing that there as well. Yes. Wow. Um, it's a lot. Okay. <laughs> it's a lot. Is it just dawning on you that it's a lot? Yes, it is. <laughs> yes. Uh, and, uh, I don't do it for that. You know, I, I, and so 
it, and it's always stunning to me when I, one of the very first patients that I had in my very first practice, she calls me every year on the anniversary of her surgery to tell me how well she's doing. And she still does it. And that was more than years ago. And then I can look in my office and I have an image of a fox at night from a photographer that I helped save his arm. And he signed the photograph. Thank you, Dr. Sparks, for being able to get me back to what I love to do. Oh. His images. You know, so my life is so full. If you told me that on both those occasions when I woke up, I would have somebody that would reach back out to me over many, many years or share a gift with me, I would have never imagined it. And so that's what makes my life right now really, really fun is because I get those little Easter eggs all the time. I'm really grateful for the time. I'm really grateful for the opportunity. I'm really grateful for the grace that people have shown me that, that give me opportunities and, and spend their chips on me, that sponsor me. And um, you have done that today. You have really given me a great opportunity to uh, have a wonderful conversation, to help people hear a voice that may be different than what they've heard before. This has been so much fun, Sharif. Thank you so much for joining us and you know sharing your wisdom with our listeners. Truly, truly a pleasure. Thank you so very much. And again, to all your listeners, this was a true privilege. And Shahana, thank you for offering that privilege uh, to me. And thank you for all you're doing, because I think this is so important because there's just so many times that we look around and we don't see anybody that looks like us. We, and especially when we look up, we don't see people that look like us. And giving a voice to that is really, really commendable. So thank you for everything that you're doing as well. Thank you. Thank you.